Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network, and I'd like to tell you that we have a new and improved website. It has two new features that we think you'll love. One of them is a vastly improved search engine so that when you type in keywords, you'll get a bunch of episodes really quick. The other is the ability to create a listener account. And in that listener account, you can save episodes for later listening. So you can create a kind of listening list. We think these features are neat and we think you'll enjoy them. Please visit the site today. I'm Athena Dixon, a co-host of the New Books and Poetry podcast via the New Books Network. Tonight, we're speaking with Megan Byrne. Megan Burns is the owner of The Dragonfly, a poetry and performance ritual space in New Orleans. She is a publisher at Trembling House Pillow Press, co-director of the New Orleans Poetry Festival, and host of the Blood Jet Reading Series. She has four full-length collections available from Lavender, Inc. She's also a single mother to three kids. Thank you so much for joining us, Megan. Thank you for having me. So I also wanted to kind of thank you before we began about providing a space for artists of all kinds, both inside of and outside of New Orleans. Um, it's an amazing thing that you're doing. Um, I really wanted you to kind of um, kind of explain to us how the Dragonfly came to be. I had the opportunity to take over that space. And after doing the New Poetry Fest for three years and bringing in so many people from outside New Orleans City, I just thought it'd be nice to have more of a permanent location that was tree centered. Mm-hmm. And I've been a reading series. Well, I used to be involved with a different reading series before the one I run next. So for the last 15 years, I've been running a reading series in New Orleans. And Bloodjet's the one I've been doing for the last five years. Mm-hmm. And I've always run out of bars. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of readings in New Orleans are out of bars. Um, and I just thought it'd be nice to. You know, we have something that's specifically for poetry, a space that's centered around the poetic. Um, and doing art and interested, I'm a Reiki practitioner, so I do a lot of rituals and energy healing like that. I wanted to combine writing rituals more with healing modalities as well. So that's just a purpose of mine. But yeah, just having more chances for me to put events together for people. Oh, that's amazing. Um, so on top of that, you're also um, working with the New Orleans Poetry Festival. Um, can you give me a little bit of information about that, how it comes to be, kind of when it happens, and kind of what things go on during the festival? Sure. So Bill Lavender, who's publisher of Lavender, Inc., is my publisher, and he brought me to AWP when my third book came out. And I came back to Orleans, and I was like, you know, what I liked about AWP is when I was like, I like off-site reading. Mm-hmm. I like the book fair, <laughs> but I would rather be in New Orleans because <laughs> I didn't like, I think, Minnesota maybe that year. 
nude. I'm not a big fan of that. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so I thought, we've great city and we have this great writing community, poetry, fiction, just all the writers and artists and musicians here. Just each part of New Orleans culture is artists. Mm-hmm. And New Orleans is a poor city. Um, the people that live here, they have the kind of money and resources to really travel and conventions and and you know, they just cost some money. And so some writers in the city are never going to have that opportunity. So we decided, let's just do it here. Let's just have it be the poetry meetings and poetry panels, the things that we love, and, and do the small press book. Mm-hmm. And so we started it. Um, uh, this will be our fourth year, um, which is pretty small. I think it was like one day first year, and then it just kind of grew. And now it's like four days. <laughs> Um, and we had like over 350 people come last year from out of town. Um, so we had 30, 30 small presses are part of the book fair. Just really fun. It's exciting. It's just a mix of New Orleans school culture and then people from out of town. Out of, um, one of the Lavender's Press it's doing a lot of translation. So we have a lot of international poets over, which is really exciting. New Orleans is already such a port city, such a close city. And so to have all these books come in and they're not reading poems in English and they're bringing the flavor of international language and culture and there's kind of this beautiful um, happening between these kind of New Orleans, which is exciting. Oh, excellent. So one of the things I was thinking about before I um, finished reading your collection, um, which is basic programming, which we're going to talk about in a moment, I just kind of wanted to kind of give a background on you as a writer, kind of how you came to the page, um, if you have any kind of like defining moment that kind of made you realize, hey, I'm a writer or this is what I really want to do. I knew I was a writer when I was probably like eight years old. And I remember the parents, I need a typewriter because I need to write. <laughs> and they bought me like a really because I was eight and they didn't take me very seriously. It was very frustrated because they eat sick all the time and I couldn't write as much as I wanted. And they, they realized very quickly that I was very serious being a writer. They upgraded me. Uh, but yeah, ever since I was a kid, I knew I was going to be a writer. I didn't go into poetry, I think, until like the end of high school just because I was exposed to a lot of poetry and read poetry in my home or in school up until high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had the opportunity in Nairobi University for graduate school, and that was really, it's all about poetry, a collaborative effort, a community effort, activist effort, experimental action. Um, I learned all things from meeting people, and there are people at Nairobi, Waldman, and Alice Knopf, all these great teachers. It's just, Nairobi is just a good environment for like learning these things. <laughs> so kind of now that you've kind of solidified yourself in this idea that you are a writer, what drives you to actually write? What drives you to keep coming back to the page? I write every day. So to me, it's, it's meditate. I meditate every day. Too. So I kind of, I exist in the world. It's like eating to me. I feel if I don't do it, it's probably, I'm going to feel off. I have to go more than a few days without being, I think it's how I process the world really mm-hmm. I understand the world around me some people visual uh, I'm just very language oriented so it helps me to process and understand what's happening mm-hmm. around me and I write I form a poetic since I don't really sit down and write poem ever I always write dig it's like basic programming mm-hmm. and I write them out of I, I do it in experimental ways out of my life experience of whatever I'm kind of going through I create containers of experience I'm going to work on when I'm creating this book. So the, the thin line between my life 
process of living my life and as I'm writing gets folded to that. Okay. Now, have you extended it into um, any other genres besides poetry, or do you find yourself writing a hybrid sometimes, or do you strictly um, write poetry? Mostly I write poetry. I did. I have a manuscript that's out right that's called The Poetics of Minaj, which mm-hmm. is a collection of essays that I wrote um, that are about performance, hysterical female performance, but I'm really interested in, um, I'm a huge Nikki Minaj fan, and so I was in her, his, her her performances she does and can bring it to surrealist women also embodied quite literally oftentimes of madness in their own hysteria when they were seeing their art they're really constrained spaces and then I used it as kind of a memoir as well because I'm experienced in an abusive marriage and not being able to be an artist so that manifests as suicidal depression and then other things that happen mm-hmm. in mental health um, and that's it grows like a memoir with some forms, you know, interspersed between it. But then I do a lot of writing, and um, I write poetics, so I've written a lot of essays and things like that that are about poetics, but too mostly poetry, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, kind of like bringing us back to kind of the reason why we're here, which is um, your collection, Basic Programming. Um, I was so interested in whether or not you were writing other genres and what you'd written besides poetry, because I felt like you're your book had a good balance between the clinical and the human. Um, as I was reading through it, I was making notes and I was kind of thinking there was like this innate questioning of the self in the collection. And I wondered how you came to the decision to use the format of kind of like the programming language in conjunction with such a personal subject matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basic programming is a book project that I did trying to figure out how to heal from complicated grief from my brother's suicide. Mm-hmm. And in order to heal from that grief, I did a number of things. I went through Reiki training, I was meditating and doing yoga nidra and a lot of spiritual healing exercises. And I also got really interested in attachment theory. Mm-hmm. And kind of being through and documenting every relationship that I was having at this to see how I attached other and then kind of working back with my family ship. Um, and at some point, I remember just thinking that because my brother and I both had the same mental illness where we suffered from depression with a lot of suicidal ideation, mm-hmm. I thought, you know, this is a genetic, it's a part of our genes, you know, it's really in our family. The more I looked into our family, it's you know, abuse, fiction, or a big part of our narrative. And so I thinking about this program come into in our lives don't make these choices. We are born into these lives and we're kind of programmed with these stories and they're offered a lot of ways to hear stories, but what really interests me as a writer mm-hmm. is changing the narrative of that story to literally go in and change your own programming. And when I started the brain in that way, and changing it in that way, well, when I was a kid, when I was about eight or nine years old, my dad put me in the computer and I had to learn basic programming, which is the only programming, the only programming language I know, actually. Um, and so I just thought, you know, it's interesting. It's the only programming language that really uses words to, to do commands, unlike some of the other languages. Um, and it's very straightforward. And wouldn't it be great to just reprogram our brain, just mm-hmm. changing a line of code, and we could literally change the outcome of our stories. Um, and then I just thought, poetry is kind of like and I say this at some point in the book, talking about poetry being the virus. In the programming, if we think about our culture as a program that 
born into that we don't necessarily. Mm-hmm. Race, gender, sexual, we're all born into this that's, that's already written for us. And the poetry is a virus in the program. The thing that, as the art can be, in art itself becomes that virus where it changes what people think. And it allows for the existence of imagination to think our ways, you know, create ways out of some of these places where we feel trapped. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, you know, poetry should be a program. It be the actual program as people read the book, actually reading the program of reprogramming the think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a very complicated book. I think it reflects kind of my brain and how it's my brain actually. I think a lot of us have these very, very dense complicated layers, um, which is why I use so many different groups in the book. I use you know constructing watering heights and thinking about Bob Dylan lyrics. Mm-hmm. Bringing all you know all these outside things because everything that we come across in our lives becomes part of our program. Mm-hmm. It becomes the way we create our perception of the world, and so I'm kind of laying it cage so that it's very visible and and thin, and that it always isn't that way. We meet another person, we don't see those layers so clearly. Um, but yeah, I was thinking, basically, yeah, it would be great to look you up, write a brand that could reprove my brain so that could heal from grief. Possible. I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two-minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash NBN50 and use code NBN50 to get 50% off. That's code NBN50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50% off. And did you find after you had kind of completed the collection that you you had worked through that or did you find that you had more questions or kind of more open space um, to deal with that grief but it kind of wasn't completely healed? I think that it definitely helped me to situate the grief and to put it in a place to handle it. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it allowed me to seek the larger store of you know, kind of creating this mythic in the book of how, you know, the suicide of my brother becomes this kind of mythic story where she dies. By the end of the book, they're channeling that's going on. He's on one side of the veil and I'm on this side and continuing to speak and have a relationship and we're to understand how the story feels the, the kind of the of our family. Mm-hmm. And I think that create mythic things in general in life to understand suffering helps us to contain it and make of it. Uh, and I think, too, it also personally just opened up deeper systems of, of wanting to know more about um, where some of this suffering occur in family lines. I'm more interested in, like, generating DNA trauma and trauma exists within DNA. Um, so the book being now, um, which is called Working Titles Check, is about more about channeling. It's the idea of where we get information from 
the poetry of creed art mm-hmm. and it's more about um looking at gentle suffering in general it moves away from this the ego story of the persona book basically programming sister who has committed suicide it comes way back from that mm-hmm. it looks more at are we as humans very focused on our suffering well, why do we think suffering is a way to understand our world and we seem to kind of always back to it and so I think of this book yeah I think it did help feel something on a personal level mm-hmm. at the same time meditating it's like you go with you like originally you should meditate and you're like I just want to quiet my mind for a little bit but then the more you do it the deep, deeper you go and, and your goal shifts and change over time and it widens out where you feel like oh I, I more for I have more things less of personal grief and we're all you know everyone's grieving around us you know so what do we do with all this suffering what is the of all this mm-hmm. so we'll see can answer it in the next book. <laughs> I was going to ask you about is there going to be like a kind of like a, a secondary, almost like manual that comes after this? Um, because there's just so much open space um, and so much kind of room for growth there that it was really interesting to see um, kind of where you would take a second collection that was directly tied to this. Yeah, I do imagine that they'll be close because it was really when I got to the end of the book that I got really interested in the idea of. Um, channeling and talking to the dead and this the history and poetics about poets mm-hmm. do a lot of channeling and you know hear voices whether it's from aliens spicer or, you know alice has a beautiful book that she is channeling or who's on the other side and i just think there's kind of a, a set into a history there but also uh, just test a new way of thinking about it. i'm really interested in staff therapy and feeling and and how found affect the system in the body. A lot of my performances with lately, I do a lot of stuff with crystal bowls, making mm-hmm. sounds. Um, so I'm just interested in poetry, not just the language, poetry on the page and the sense of what I'm saying matter, but want to know why the sound. Mm-hmm. And that's actually interesting because I was one of the questions I had written for you was that while there's kind of like this very true sense of science and technology and how the poems are crafted, there is such a gentleness um, within your word choice, um, especially in pieces like Break Against, Coda, um, In Order to Compute Elegy, One Must Deprogram. And if what you have taken that wasn't yours to take, those are like my favorite pieces in, in the collection, just because I think there was such a perfect balance between the programming and kind of like the heart. Um, so one of the things I was interested in asking you is whether or not um, you were kind of looking at our interactions as human beings and then kind of striking these parallels between how routine and sometimes mechanical those interactions with each other can be. So, wait, what is this? Like, so you have a, a section um, where ha- um, there's an, a, an interaction with a man and there's kind of like this very um, kind of matter-of-fact description of sex and kind of the interactions mm-hmm. between the two. And it got me to thinking... Um, whether or not you had considered um, kind of how mechanical and sometimes routine our human interactions can be, that we're almost like without thinking about it, kind of working through kind of like this science type um, level with each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I think I talked in the back of the book about, you know, I did a lot of, in order to understand attachment to other people, mm-hmm. sleep 
keep them kind of recording my um, responses to them. I wasn't in relationships with you. I was mm-hmm. to markedly not a relationship with someone. I was mm-hmm. trying to see at what level I would attach them based on just physical proximity or, you know, just sexual intimacy and so forth. Um, and I do think I was thinking about how there are so many ways that we fill in the gap in all of our actions with people where nothing has really occurred, but they are so routine mm-hmm. and kind of, uh, I don't know, with steps to them. Um, I don't know, and I guess as a poet, one of the interesting aspects of being a poet to me is this idea of deep witness to everything. I'm, I'm not a fiction writer, fiction writers do this too. The poet, I can say this is dual life that you live. You're living your life, but your life is also the compost material thing that you're going to create. And so that creates distance from it. Always, uh, especially the way I that everything I do is fodder for the art. So there's always this distance that that it's going to be part of art mm-hmm. no matter what. Um, I don't know if that answers your question totally. Yeah, I do often feel it kind of very much watching, like mm-hmm. a scientist. Right. The interactions and things, and not always maybe to be prep and involved, but that's just an aspect maybe poet. <laughs> <laughs> now, was there um, like kind of what decision process did you make? You mentioned um, deconstructing Wuthering Heights and using um, lyrics. How did you kind of come to what you wanted to use as kind of those focal points? Was there something that had resonated with you that started the collection off or something that kind of came to you as you were actually writing it that made you kind of want to include that? This section, so it's the middle section of this. I think of the book as having sections. The first section um, is very much about relationships, intimacy, and attachment. Here. The middle section is the one that I read chapter. I kind of deacon through a poem a Bob Dylan song. Mm-hmm. And that prop originally was a book that I had started years before I started basic programming. Mm-hmm. But wouldn't it be cool? I my heights is one of my favorite books. I thought, wouldn't it be cool to put a Bob song to every chapter during Heights and try to write a chapter and out of the song, try to create from those chapters. Mm-hmm. And I got maybe four or five years in and I thought, I don't know why I'm doing this. <laughs> It's interesting to me, something that's interesting to anyone. And so I put that project away. And then my brother had suicide in 2014. I'd gone through a divorce. I lost my kids for a period. Um, actually, kids based on that I make uh, because I do a lot of artwork calls and I talk about and mental health and and my made a court mm-hmm. and that's what I do. I took my kids from me because they thought. And those experiences, I writing basic programming thought when I started that my brother's name was Dylan. Mm-hmm. He was named after Bob Dylan. And I started seeing uh, how I go from attachment with, you know, partners to my brother. Like how do I reach bridge? How do I transition it? Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, the best way to do that is probably completely not to get objective, get out of myself and, and go to this project that I had made. Because what I found in Wuthering Heights and using the Bob Dylan there that it really connected um, the attachment I made. Because I read Wuthering Heights when I was probably 13 or 14. And it became one of those 
books that that kind of became a template for this is what love is. Mm-hmm. And it's probably much older than I read. I thought, that's not love. That's a, And I, that should be the book that I am really writing about how confused we get, how easy it is to be confused when we're shown the wrong information at a very early age. Mm-hmm. Um, so the Wuthering Heights kind of made its way back in there. And it was, you know, because brother was named after and then my father was such a young fan. It was an easy eve the of my brother's side and my, my father and his generational, everything that comes from his side of my um, his Bob Dylan lyrics, that's pushing to. So it's just a pivotal thing that I kind of grew up listening, paying attention to. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested in how, like that, how and books teach us in the world and often they don't teach good lots of that's what really interests me, because I'm a kid of the 80s. So I go, I think about all these movies in the 80s and these songs and the MTV, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> no wonder I don't have any movies about partner like, to avoid abuse. Because <laughs> it was just kind of normalized for us. There's right. so much stuff that was normalized that we look at now. And, you know, I have teenagers now, teenage daughters. Mm-hmm. Watch some of these movies with them, and it's like, oh, my God, no. No, this is terrible. Now, did you find while you were writing the book, was there any um, kind of area that you kind of started to go towards in your healing process that you kind of said, no, I'm not prepared for that yet? Or did you kind of let yourself be wide open to whatever kind of the book moved you into? I mean, I, in writing the book, I remember uh, talking to someone, saying to them, because I doing all this really deep memory work and, and to dig deep into memory and grief and just sitting with it and doing meditation. And I didn't have a lot of skills at that point to kind of hold me while I did that. I remember telling someone, I will feel like I'm in jerks but the part where the guy unplugs mm-hmm. and you're kind of looking around and everything doesn't really confuse or it doesn't make sense. I feel really unplugged. I just and I was my body kind of way me in a way mm-hmm. and I actually didn't even really understand what I didn't really anything about energy healing I just showed up mm-hmm. for this training I was like I need to be here and I showed up training and I started doing this training started going to more healing practice training I just kind of went where the book led me mm-hmm. first time I've ever written a book the book actually kind of pushed me out of my comfort and it pushed me to go places I wouldn't normally go because I had to do that work. It wasn't safe for me to work and not have things in my tool belt mm-hmm. grounded to keep me focused, to know that I would be And so, you know, that's why I kind of have that word in the back of the book where I talk about the things I did because I think I younger artists, you know, really need to, to go all the way. You know, they want to dig deep, they pull up all the trauma, and they, they want to do this really work that writing can do. You know how to come back up the underworld. Mm-hmm. You're going to out. Right. You know, go on this one thing. The coming back up is an important part of that. And knowing may bring back up with you is an important part of that. Mm-hmm. And so you have to go out and learn from people who can teach you and you can help. And there might be many, you know, people who can do that. It was, you know, I went to my parent card teachers training me in Intuit. And I went to my Reiki healer teacher. I learned, you know, from a lot of people, a lot of skill sets, and I kind of used all of them. 
to write the book. Mm-hmm. I knew I was going to go to these real, really dark, really hard places. Um, so, yeah. So, is there um, something that you've been kind of aching to write about or a project you've been aching to do that you haven't yet tackled or you feel like it's going to be on your horizon sometime soon? Um, I think just, I mean, it, I thought after I finished the program and it came out last April, I, I always I'd take more time between books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to relax. I'm not going to go right into writing this. I, but I think it's it's kind of like you said, I feel like this next book mm-hmm. picks up where, where basic programming was. Oh. You know, it really does kind of pick up. And it continues to use those skills to kind of go in deeper and it, and it, it veers away from the kind of personal, um, of just me and becomes a book more about an overall universal kind of human experience of suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been where my focus has been, you know, when I do have that focus on my own writing, because mm-hmm. I'm so very, you know, spread very thinly with the other projects that I do. Yeah, that's kind of my one focus is in that book right now. I wrote the process of writing books. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great when it's finished, you know, and you have it be cover and all that. I mean, that's Fun too, but for me, it's the, the fun part is the process because you don't know where you're going, you don't know what's going to happen, mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, I do kind of struggle in there. I, I put everything on the table. I'm like, let's go, this, like, <laughs> this is where it's going to go. Um, and so it's all wild guys for me. Um, do you have um, a dream project? Something that you always wanted to do, whether it be writing wise or art or performance that. Like, that's kind of like your holy grail of projects that you haven't been able to do yet? Mm, well, I would have said yes for my birthday on January 3rd, but then I did my true projects. Oh. <laughs> um, I spent years putting things inside of dolls and performing with my lady collection. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always done performances with maybe five, you know, and I, I made different dolls and different tableaus. And I read and perform with a kind of a mixed media performance poetry. Mm-hmm. I've never been in a situation where I could bring all of them out. Some of them are very large. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot of them. And I've never wanted to go into anyone's reading and be like, hi, I'm taking here. <laughs> 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 I'm going to read for an hour. Um, so I've, I've wanted to do the whole thing. I've wanted to do a big show. Except for my birthday at Dragonfly, I just thought, well, my space, it's my birthday. Mm-hmm. The one time of the year where people do that leeway and do whatever you want. So I did this show um, with all the dolls, and it was really beautiful because it was really in my city. It was in my space, and the show is very personal. It's about abuse and trauma, and so it's hard for me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was my dream show. Like, I wanted to be in a space where I felt very been able to say exactly what I wanted to say and to have all the dolls out so people could see all of them. And yeah, that was fun. So, um, as we're beginning to wrap up a little bit, um, are there any particular writers or artists or musicians that you really love that kind of get your creative juices flowing? Um, anybody that you would like to recommend to our listeners? Uh, I've recently been going with back to like my roots of writing and getting back into surrealist and the writers, um, Gina Kazern and Nina Loy. Um, great sound poet at uh, the Dragonfly last night and sound poems mm-hmm. from like the 1910s and things just sounds and I don't hear anyone doing that in poetry very much today mm-hmm. um, 
I'm really interested in poetry, you know? <laughs> so I love to stick with the nature of English. Kind of, like, it's out of style and they come back around. Um, oh my gosh. I, I so always pick one person because when I say one name, they're like, oh no. Right. Nick, I'll say this. Nikki Walker, mm-hmm. who I've known for a while, but I can take to read her work pretty regularly. I think she might be one of the best writing right now. I mean, she's working away. So if you know her, check her out. Excellent. Well, I want to say thank you so, so much for talking to us. Um, we greatly appreciate it. Um, basic programming is available through Lavender Ink Press. That's a gorgeous book. Um, we'll include a link on this episode so you can purchase it at will. Any final words, Megan? No, thank you for talking to me. It was right. great. Thank you so much. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.